If you would, take your Bible and open to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, we've been studying for the last couple of weeks, and we're going to continue our journey through the book of Colossians. Let me say again, and in case I move too quickly through it before the offering, thank you for giving. Thank you for being a church that makes it possible for two weeks ago to have hundreds of kids and adults here for Vacation Bible School. This last week, we had our group at Falls Creek. This week, we're able to host this mission team. Next week, our kids go to kids camp down in Texas. Thanks for being a church that makes those things possible. And you do it not out of obligation, but because of what God has done in your life and the desire to be a part of that. And so if you didn't have a chance to give this morning because the plate came around early, remember we have those secure black boxes as you walk out. Also remember, you can give online anytime at our website. Just click the give button there in the top right and that works out well uh, for a lot of people. Let me say as well, happy Father's Day to the dads in the room. We're so thankful for your day-to-day, week-to-week faithfulness. Just like Mother's Day, Father's Day comes with mixed emotions. Uh, and as a church, we rejoice with those who rejoice and we mourn with those who mourn. And so we come together to do that this morning. Uh, sometimes in church, Mother's Day we say, hey, moms are great. And Father's Day we say, hey, you're a loser, do better. We don't want to say that. That's not the point of Father's Day. We are here to say the gospel is good for dads, just like it is for moms. Dads need the gospel day after day, week after week. The point of this morning is not, hey, be a better dad. The point of this morning is look at God's work in your life and live obediently. And so the way we want to start out our time with the sermon is one of our newest dads here at Emmaus, Jeff Hempel. who just became a dad a couple of weeks ago and has realized what it means in those early days of of being a dad. So if Jeff stumbles over a couple of words this morning, give him a pass because he's not sleeping a lot. But uh, he's going to read our scripture. Jeff is our, he technically doesn't start until July 1st, but he's our director of discipleship ministries. And Jim, who you saw earlier, is our associate pastor who's focused on missions. And so I wanted you to see both of these guys this morning. Jeff, lead us in the reading of God's word this morning. Starting in verse one. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints in Christ at Colossae, who are faithful brothers and sisters, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. For we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints because of the hope reserved for you in heaven. You have already heard about this hope in the word of truth, the gospel, that has come to you. It is bearing fruit and growing all over the world, just as it has among you since the day you heard it and came to truly appreciate God's grace. You learn this from Epaphras, our dearly loved and fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf. And he has told us about your love in the Spirit. For this reason also, since the day we heard this, we haven't stopped praying for you. We are asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, so that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you might have a great endurance and patience joyfully, giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the saints' inheritance in the light. He has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. In him we have redemption 
the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and by him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile everything to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Amen. So I want you to look at a picture up here on the screen. Let's play plant identification. Can anybody identify that vegetation up there on the screen? Yeah, so it's, it's kudzu. Uh, if you spent much time in the southeast part of the United States especially, you've probably run into kudzu before. Uh, kudzu, which can go by other names, but it was introduced in the late 19th century at the World's Fair in Philadelphia and New Orleans. It was supposed to be this new uh, great garden novelty that you could add to your, your home garden. Then in the Dust Bowl era, Congress introduced kudzu as um, a means of trying to reduce erosion and preserve the soil. And they started planting it along roadsides, and it did well really well, <laughs> a lot better than anybody planned for it to do. And so there are areas now that you drive in the southeast United States where you just can't see through the trees on the side of the road because of how much the, the vegetation has grown up there. And so what started as a good thing ended up spreading to the point that it completely took over the areas where it was introduced. We realize that in our world, in our lives, there's this idea that things begin to spread out and they begin to take over. You think about our bodies, the way it works with diseases and bacteria and the ways that things can spread and take over, and those are negative examples. People who plant okra in their gardens and talk about the fact that once you plant okra, you never get finished with the okra. It just continues to come back. It continues to spread and take over. That idea, we want to flip over and look at from a positive side this morning because I want you to know that it is the nature of the gospel to grow and spread and increase in our lives and in the world. It is the nature of the gospel. God's work is always designed so that it grows and spreads and increases. Not like kudzu, hopefully, but in a way that is redeeming, a way that's life-giving, a way that's powerful. And all of this, this idea that God's word and God's work always spreads and grows and increases, it's based upon the idea that Jesus is Lord of all. Remember in Colossians, go back to Colossians 1. Remember this basic idea that we looked at a couple of weeks ago. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Everything was created by him. All things have been created through him and for him. He is the beginning. Nothing is before him. The firstborn from the dead so that he might come to have first place in everything. In Colossians is this idea that Jesus is superior and sufficient. He is over all things. Nothing stands above him and nothing stands beyond him. So he is the one who overrules 
everything. Sometimes this idea in theology is called the cosmic Christ. In other words, he is over the cosmos, he is over all things, and so we worship him for that reason. But not only that, but he works in our lives in every area. So just like he is over all things, there's no part of our lives that's off limits to the work of God. Jesus works in every corner of our life. So from that comes the idea that a cosmic Christ who works in every area of our life is due the worship of every person and every place in creation. So follow, because Jesus is over all things, because we look up to him, because he works in his people, the result of that, the implication of that, is that he is Lord over every person and every place. So this is our pattern, up, in, out. Up because he is worthy, in because he transforms, out because the gospel always grows out, it's always developing. Look back in verse six and and see this idea there. In verse six of Colossians chapter one, it says that the gospel is bearing fruit and growing all over the world just as it has among you since the day you heard it and recognized God's grace in the truth. This idea of growth there comes with two phrases. The first is bearing fruit. Uh, we, we understand that concept sometimes shows up in Scripture. You see this idea of the fruit of the Spirit. Jesus in his parables all the time will talk about the idea that you plant a seed and you watch it grow. Uh, one of the books that we read with our kids calls the Bible the farming and fishing book. Uh, because you think about how often in the Bible it refers to farming and fishing. And, and you see that idea of growth and increase and bearing fruit. And so it does that work, but what it does in us, it also does through us. God's word grows up in us to bear fruit, but then it also increases. The word growing up there in verse 6 is also translated increasing. You see down in Acts 19 verse 20 as the church is growing, the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. It continued to spread. In the book of Genesis, God tells his people to bear uh, to be blessed and to multiply. Then you see Israel given the same command to bear fruit and to multiply. You get to the New Testament, Jesus talks about that. The book of Acts talks about that. The work of the gospel is always to grow and increase and spread and multiply. Now, if you spend much time around church, you've probably heard of the idea of church growth. What does it mean, though, for a church to experience growth? If the gospel grows, if that's the natural reality that grows internally and it grows externally, what does that tell us about church growth? I think there's three things that we learn. The first comes out of 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I want you to see these verses up on the screen. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul says in verse 5, What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God gives the growth. So from the very beginning this morning, as we talk about growth, I want to be crystal clear that it is God who gives the growth. Whether we are talking about internal growth, what God does within us, 
or where they're talking about external growth as the gospel spreads and increases and goes to other places, it's always God who does that. God is the one that gives the growth. So anytime we talk about church growth, that's the first foundation. The second foundation is we can't separate numerical growth from spiritual growth. Scripture always holds those two together, this idea that when God works in his people, he's going to increase that work to other people. It's designed to spread, it's designed to go to other places, which means that, which means that, I wanna be really careful in this, if growth is not happening numerically in a church, so we're gonna have to take a second so we don't have misunderstanding about this, but if growth is not happening numerically in a church, it is right and good for us to look internally and say, is there something happening where we've cut ourselves off from God's internal work in our lives, his transformation? Because anytime God's work, his gospel grows within us, it should also grow out of us to other people to impact those around us. The result of that is not that we run out and try to do all these things to make more people come to our church because oftentimes that begins to look like just, hey, let's get other churches to send their people to our church. No, 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 that's not, that's not what we're talking about at all. When we're talking about the gospel growing, we're talking about the good news of Jesus going to people who haven't heard or who haven't responded or who have been turned off to the things of the Lord, but then God begins to open their eyes and open their hearts to what he's doing. And so what we are looking at with church growth is God do this work in us and then do this work through us to reach other people. How does God do this? On your notes, I've given you two ways that the gospel spreads. If you look at the back of, of your bulletin, the gospel spreads from person to person and from place to place. I know those are simple ideas, but we're gonna use those two ideas to kind of guide us through this. The gospel always spreads from person to person and from place to place. First, from person to person, the gospel spreads through faithful messengers. Look back in Colossians 1, if you still have your phone or your, or your Bible open. Colossians 1, verse 7. You learn this, speaking to the Colossians, you learn this from Epaphras, our dearly loved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, and he has told us about your love in the Spirit. So don't miss this, this verse right here. The Colossians, this church that Paul is writing to, he has never visited them before. Not only that, he wasn't the person who told them about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Most likely, Paul met this guy Epaphras in Ephesus, which was a town just west of Colossae. He met Epaphras, he told Epaphras about the gospel, and Epaphras went back to his hometown and told them about the gospel. It wasn't Paul doing all the work to tell everybody about Jesus. Paul was investing in people who would then, from that person, tell another person about Christ, who would then tell another person about Christ. This is the Second Timothy 2 idea. What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, commit to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. The idea that the gospel is always meant to grow and increase and spread from person to person, which means that the spread of the gospel is not dependent on one person. It wasn't dependent on Paul. Most definitely it's not dependent on me or any pastor for that matter. The gospel is always designed to spread from person to person. Imperfect people, various people, 
finite people, it's not one person who gets the credit for the spread of the gospel. It's God's work working in us, and then as God works in us, he works through us to reach somebody else, which means this task is for every single one of us. The spread of the gospel, what God wants to do at Emmaus, what God wants to do in our lives, it involves every single one of us. From the youngest child who has given their heart to Jesus to the senior adult who's tempted to say, I've done my work, my time has passed, I'm just here because I enjoy being here. No, no. Every single one of us is involved in the spread of the gospel from person to person because that's the way God always works. And I hope that's good news for you. Because where you live, where you learn, where you work, where you play, God is going to use your life. Where you live, where you learn, where you work, where you play, God will use your life because you are gonna have relationships, you're gonna have contact with people, and the gospel is gonna spread from person to person. Now you might say, so what about the use of technology to get the gospel? What, what about radio and TV and who knows what's gonna happen with artificial intelligence? Uh, you know, can't we just program a robot and that robot go and tell everybody about Jesus? Maybe, but it misses the point of the spread of the gospel. It misses the point that when God reaches out to people, he does it as one person who's responded in faith turns and speaks to another person. Nobody, nobody wants to be our religious project. We treat people as people. We treat people as those who have been created in the image of God and they deserve our respect, they deserve our love, they deserve the truth to be speaking and, spoken in love and with clarity. No one wants to be somebody's religious project and the sharing of the gospel is not a sales transaction. You're not trying to sell somebody something, you're not trying to talk them into something, you're trying to share with them the good news of Jesus Christ and that's always designed to happen person to person through faithful messengers. And the next point just below that is it's not just faithful messengers, but it's through transformed lives. I've used this phrase a couple of times, but I really want you to go home. If, if somebody said at the end, Owen, what did you want somebody to go home with? This is the phrase I want you to go home with. That God works in and through you. God works through transformed people. He works in our lives in order to work through our lives. Because otherwise, don't miss this, otherwise you're gonna feel very hypocritical saying, oh man, I'm supposed to be on mission, I'm supposed to be a part of a mission trip this week, sharing Jesus with other people. But if that work has not happened inside you, it's going to feel like a business transaction. You're going to feel hypocritical to the core because you're trying to tell somebody about something that's never truly taken root in your own lives. God's growth, the work of the gospel, always happens in us in order to happen through us. And this is especially true on a church level. What's our role as a church? Why do I even, why, why even be a part of a church? Can't I just be a Christian and come to church from time to time? This is just institutional religion. I love Jesus, but I'm not really interested in the church. The church is the transformed community of followers of Jesus. The reason we need the church is the same reason your friends and family need you involved in their lives because God works in you in order to work through you in the same way God works in a community of people in order to work through that community of people. 
for us at Emmaus to be a church on mission, sharing the gospel in this area and around the world, we need God to be working in our community. We need God to be working in our church because as God transforms us, as he does that work in us, he will then do that work through us. I know that anytime we bring up this topic of evangelism or missions, you and me both think, oh man, it's just so hard to share your faith with other people. Like it feels so strange and so awkward at times. The best way that you can begin that process is just by engaging fully with a local church. As you engage with the work of a church to worship Christ, to hear the gospel week after week, to live in community with other people, to serve one another, God will begin to do a work in your life that will result in the gospel going to other people in the most natural way imaginable. Because God always spreads his gospel from person to person, through faithful messengers and through transformed lives. Here's the second part though. It's not just person to person, it's also place to place. The gospel always spreads place to place. Look down in verse six again. If you look at Colossians chapter one, verse six, it says the gospel is bearing fruit and growing all over the world. That it is designed to not happen just in one place, it's designed to happen there and then to spread all over the world. This is the idea in Matthew 28 where Jesus says, all authority has been given to me in heaven on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. From place to place, from people to people, go and spread the gospel. Acts 1.8 is probably the most famous verse about this in the New Testament. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So earlier I said that Paul had never been to the city of Colossae. He was based for a long time in a place called Ephesus, and what Paul would do is he would go to these major metropolitan areas. He would go to Corinth. He would go to Ephesus. He would go to Rome. People would come there. They would learn about the gospel, and then they would go back to their places. We find out that Epaphras, that guy we learned about earlier, not only worked in Colossae, he also worked in Laodicea. He worked in a place called Hierapolis. He was taking the gospel from Ephesus, and it was going to spread from place to place. Paul wanted to go from Ephesus to a place called Rome, and then Paul wanted to go to Rome for one reason, because he wanted to get to Spain. And he wanted to get to Spain so that then the gospel could continue to spread. It was always designed to go from place to place. It doesn't just stay in one location. What does this mean for us, though? There are two questions that I want you to look at on your notes, or I'll repeat them out loud if you don't have a copy of the bulletin in front of you. But there are two questions that come with this that should really cause us to stop and think. The first is, so you're telling me, preacher, that the gospel is meant to go to every place on earth, that Jesus is Lord over every place. Isn't that culturally insensitive? Who are you to say that your message about Jesus should go to every place? Shouldn't you just leave those people alone and let them continue to worship their God. Let them continue to follow the way that they're following right now. Who are you to go in? This is the old idea of the white man's burden or the old idea of bad colonialism, of going in and you're taking over this culture. The sharing of the gospel is not culturally insensitive for two reasons. Number one, the gospel is not tied to any particular culture to begin with. Our culture in America, 
we are in just as much need of the gospel as any other culture in the world. We desperately need to hear that message. And so when we talk about sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ around the world, it's not about taking American politics, it's not taking American ideals, it's taking the gospel that transcends every culture. When I was uh, in college, I went to Southeast Asia to Cambodia, and we were in a Buddhist temple there talking with some of the, the Buddhist priests in that, in that area. And the one thing, well, not the one thing, but the main thing that this guy did not like about Christianity is it was the American religion. He said, why would I want your religion? Jesus is just the American God, and we have our gods over here. Well, no, that's absolutely not what is the case. The message of Jesus Christ transcends every culture and every place. And because of that, it's not culturally insensitive because you're not taking your culture, you're taking the gospel of Jesus. We're gonna talk in a couple of weeks on July 2nd about that relationship between the gospel and, and politics and that gospel and culture, how do those things fit together. But I want us to realize that we're taking the gospel, we're not taking a particular culture when we go from place to place. The second question that comes up is, why should we go there isn't there enough work to do right here? So you're telling me the gospel's supposed to go from place to place. Well, that's all fine and well, but why would we worry about what's happening far from us when we have enough problems right here? Well, a couple of things to say about that. Number one, Matthew 28 and Acts 1, 8 kind of just take care of it on the surface. Jesus has commanded that we go to all nations. Acts 1.8 says, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Jesus says go. We go in the power of the Holy Spirit, and so we are going to go to other places because of the command of Jesus. But don't miss this. One of the dangers we face is in church life, we make this divide between what we do here and what we do far away, as if they're separate types of mission as if they're separate types of work. From God's perspective, because remember the foundation for everything we're doing this morning, everything we're talking about, is that Jesus is Lord of all. From God's perspective, did you know there's no such thing as international missions? <laughs> there's no such thing as foreign missions, there's no such thing. From his perspective, it is the mission of the kingdom of Jesus Christ coming to bear on the world so that people would turn and know him and worship him and see their lives transformed. It's only from our perspective that here and there make any sense. From God's perspective, it is, I want to see my kingdom come on earth just as it is in heaven. And the reality is, usually the people who go other places are the people who are doing the most right here. And as we do work right here, it compels us to go because we wanna to go to places that have never heard. Many of you have been down to Mission Arlington before, or you've heard about Mission Arlington. Mission Arlington is the work of Miss Tilly, as, as she's known there. Miss Tilly and her family were missionaries to Korea for a long time. And they came back from Korea. Yeah, absolutely. They came back from, uh, from Korea, and Miss Tilly, you know what she did? She didn't lament the fact that she couldn't be in Korea anymore. She didn't say, oh, I can only do it over there, I can't do it here. You know where she went to work? She went to work in the Arlington Public School District. She taught special needs in Arlington Public School District. She was engaged in her job there. And out of that, 
God led her to start Mission Arlington in 1986, and 31 years later, it's one of the most prolific, one of the most well-known Christian ministries in the area for caring, people, caring for people who are hurt. Another example that some of you will know and, and others might not as well, but you think about a couple like Ed and Sue Whitmill, um, who served in Mexico, served in El Salvador as missionaries, and then came back to the States. What did they do when they came back to the States? They started telling people about Jesus in Chickasha. They started telling people about Jesus in Oklahoma City. Their being on mission was not about being confined to one particular place. It was, God, wherever you place me, I'm going to be faithful there. And then God used me to take the gospel from person to person and place to place. Okay, what does this say for us? How do we respond to this? If you have a copy of the bulletin, you look on the back, I've put down some ways that we can put this into action. What should I do personally? So we're going to take it personally, and then we're going to take it as a church, as Emmaus. First, personally, what should I do? Number one, cultivate a global gospel perspective. Sometimes the reason we don't think about sharing the gospel, we don't think about the work of missions, is it's simply out of sight, out of mind. You live a busy life with more on your plate than you know how to handle already. Out of sight, out of mind is a real world problem. And so what we have to do is cultivate this global perspective where we're always thinking about, God, you are at work beyond what's happening right here. You can do this in your house. Uh, one of the things we do in our house, you don't have to go home and do this. This is just, we're getting into practical ideas. So take what's helpful for you, leave the rest aside. One of the things we do in our house is we have a huge world map. And around that world map are missionaries that our family knows and prays for. And so our kids are able to go to that map and they're able to see the pictures of those missionaries and it keeps in front of them this idea that God's gospel is not confined to my experience right here, that God is work at work all over the world. Dads, you play a huge role in this. You have aspirations for your kids. You have dreams for your kids, what you want them to see them do with their lives. Set them free to their nations. Set them free with this idea that I have dreams. I want to see you do great things, but I want to see you do great things because I want to see the gospel go through your life, through your obedience, through whatever God calls you to do. We have to do this work of cultivating a gospel global gospel perspectives, so we're not just confined to what happens right here. Number two, get involved personally. This probably speaks to a little bit of our individualism, maybe a little, but, but what I'm trying to say here is one of the ways to be on mission is you just have to be personally involved. When you feel connected to someone, when you are giving to something, even more so when you are going someplace, when you have hands and feet and money involved in it and you become personally involved, God's work in your life is going to just mushroom from there because all of a sudden it's not something way over there. It's something that I'm personally involved with. Number three is to engage with the work of the church. One of the ways that we are able to go is when we are involved with the work of the church. Here's a distinction I want to, to make that I think would be helpful for you because we run into this a lot in church. In our family, just in my household, there are going to be certain things that 
I'm interested in, my wife is interested in, kids are interested in, that they want to be a part of, that they want to be giving to, that they want to be praying for. And then there are things that our family is going to do collectively. It works like that in the church. There are things that you feel connected to because of relatives, because of friends, because of places you've been, and you're gonna go to those places, you're gonna pray for those people, you're gonna give to that mission work, and that is good. And then there are things that we're going to do as a church collectively. What happens in church life is it's tough for those two to coexist because inevitably what I'm excited about, I want everybody else to be excited about. Well, that's understandable, and that's a good thing. We want you to be able to share with one another those things that you're involved in as a family, you're involved in individually, but then we also want to come back together as a church and say, what are we going to do as a family? How are we going to live this out? And so that leads to the second part in your notes. What should we be doing here at Emmaus? Well, number one at Emmaus is I want to see us create a culture of going and sending, at Emmaus, I want it to be the most natural thing. And, and this language, I say I, this language is coming a lot from conversations I've been having with Jim as Jim continues to think more about missions and what that's going to look like. But what does it look like to have a culture at our church of sending and going? It begins with authentic, God-honoring worship. It begins as we study God's word and he transforms us from the inside out. And then we have a culture where people are constantly going where students are being sent out, I pray that God would call from our kids and our teenagers, those who would go as missionaries to places that are unreached, and I pray that God would call from our kids and our teenagers, those who will be teachers and coaches and engineers and moms and politicians and every area of life imaginable that they would live their faith in those areas. We want to have in our church a culture of going and sending. To that end, number two, is we're gonna pursue local and global, global partnerships. These are those things we're gonna say, we're gonna do these together. We're gonna have these partnerships that we develop. What I want to do a better job of, and we're working toward this, is to take areas in the lobby and do a better job of keeping in front of us as a church what those partnerships are. Because when you walk into church, you're like me, it's out of sight, out of mind as well. But if you're able to walk into church and you're able to see visibly, oh yeah, I forgot we were involved with that. I forgot we had that partnership going on. It creates excitement, it creates engagement. It says, yeah, I forgot that we were doing those type of things. And so we're gonna work hard to keep those partnerships in front of you to remind you what's happening there. And then finally, the last thing is to look toward the unreached or the unengaged. That language is just acknowledging that there are people and places in the world that have never heard about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the question is, how would God use Emmaus in getting the good news of Jesus to a place that has never heard the name of Jesus? You say, well, that seems a little far-fetched. No, no, it's probably right in front of us. <laughs> it's right in front of us to the point that we are going to pray and we're gonna plan and we're gonna strategize so that God would use our church to get the gospel to a place that has never heard about the good news of Jesus. Why? Because what he does in us, he will do through us. Here in just a second, we're gonna celebrate the Lord's Supper together. You say, oh, well, we do that from time to time. Yeah, we do. 
But don't miss this part of the Lord's Supper. When we take the Lord's Supper together, we are previewing the banquet that people from all people and all places and all nations and all tribes and all tongues will have when they gather before the Lord. And so when we take the Lord's Supper, yes, it involves this church right here in this place, but I hope your heart and your mind as you take that cracker and you take that cup of juice, I hope you would imagine what it would be like to take that cracker and take that juice with someone from a different culture, from a different country, from a different place. What would it be like to take that cracker and that juice with someone who's doing it for the first time because they've heard about the good news of Jesus Christ? When we take the Lord's Supper this morning, I hope your heart and mind would be focused on how would God use us to take the gospel to every people and every place. Here's what we're gonna do at this point. I'm gonna pray for us, and after I pray for us, I'm gonna ask those who are helping to serve the Lord's Supper and those who are leading the music to come down after I pray. There's gonna be a short video that you can watch while they're coming to get into their places. After they get in their places, we'll pass the elements and we'll celebrate the Lord's Supper together. Let me pray for us, and then we're gonna watch this video while the people get in place to serve the Lord's Supper and lead the music. Father, I know that one of the gifts of being able to gather together on Sunday morning, even when we're tired, even when we have all these circumstances going on around us, one of the gifts of this time is it's an opportunity in our week just to slow down, to think about things we would not have thought about otherwise, to be reminded of your goodness. Father, I pray that if there are those here this morning who are not followers of Jesus but, but want to know more, who are interested why a message would feel so important that every person on earth would need to hear about it, God, I pray that you would work in their hearts that they would know your love and the peace and the hope that comes through Jesus. And Father, as we leave here in just a few minutes, God, let us take with us that idea that you want to work in us and through us. And God, over the next few minutes, work in us so that when we leave here, you will work through us. Father, thank you for the hope that we have for the gospel. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.